You're listening to Westside Church. For more information, visit us at westsideinfo.com. Good morning, everybody. So good to see all of you. Uh, Terry and I were on vacation for a couple of weeks. Came back with a bit of a cold. Sounds worse than it is, but just if you are a prayer, please pray that my voice uh, will last for two more services today. Uh, We we did uh, fly to Houston, took a couple of our grandsons, eight and ten years old, on a road trip through the south to Orlando. And uh, tell you what, boys love to go on fast rides and love to make noise. And uh, so it was quite a trip. It was a, a very uh, delightful change of pace for us. Uh, several of you sent uh, nice texts and notes and things like that, encouraging things. Thank you so much uh, for praying for us while we we're gone. Uh, Terry will be here after, at the end of this service. She actually flew to Phoenix the other day to pick up her mom to be with us for the weekend. Uh, so they'll be in a second service here. Terry's investigating, bringing her mom closer here so she doesn't have to uh, leave every month. So you could be in prayer about that as well. Uh, if you're newer to Westside and you came in the last couple of weeks, it's so nice to meet you and uh, to be here. Uh, I'm very excited about what God is doing. I'm constantly hearing reports of people who are uh, in restored relationships of some sort or another, uh, where God is healing people on, on, from the inside out and uh, restoring people to position of service to Him, uh, to the King and the Kingdom. Uh, where people are, are making friends and engaging in Christian community, authenticity. Uh, it never happens uh, overnight, it seems, but these are things that we work toward. Here's the ideal over here, and here's the real. None of us live over here in the ideal yet. We will, uh, but right now we're in the real, and we're working toward the ideal. Uh, so don't be discouraged. Uh, don't give up. Uh, keep uh, pushing forward in serving Him. Uh, we're in a series of Romans, but before I get to that, uh, we, have, we just actually have an announcement to make. I'm going to ask Logan if he'll come up here and just share briefly with the church. Is this about the issue on video? That was yes. not me. I did <laughs> not do this. <laughs> we'll start calling you Glitch. Yeah, start calling me Glitch. Um, <laughs> Over the last couple of weeks, we've had, um, we've had some changes here at Westside in leadership, and um, we've had a couple of uh, guys step off eldership, um, and I'm actually going to be one of them um, just going forward. Um, it has been an absolute pleasure to serve on the team for the last 10 years. Um, it has been uh, incredible in my development, uh, in, uh, in just knowing the Lord more, and it's been phenomenal to serve. Um, my, Amanda and I have been praying about this a lot. You know, it's, it's always hard when God calls you to do something you don't want to do. And I'm not talking about doing eldership. I'm talking about not doing it. Um, it, it has been one of the greatest pleasures of my life. Um, I think it's, uh, it, it, it has been very difficult uh, for us to just as, as God uh, moves you into something different, he, you know, you, you got to stay in the middle of his grace. You know, even if you want to do something, if he's calling you to do something else, you, it's just really foolish to continue to do something and, and say, no, Lord, actually, I like where you got me. Uh, I don't know about that thing you're taking me into, but I want to stay right here. Uh, and so Amanda and I have just been feeling very strongly that God, that the season right now for us to be in, in, on eldership is over and that, we, that he's transitioning us to something else. We don't know what it is, so please be in prayer for us. We're not going anywhere, by the way, and you should, you should notice. I mean, Randy, 
uh, uh, Randy, uh, Joe, Mike, uh, who recently stepped off eldership as well. I mean, they're still around. We're going to still be around. We are still dedicated to this church. We love you guys. We're going to be integrated into the life of the body. I'm still, we're still leading college group. We're still involved in youth. Amanda's still running the, 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 the um, nursery. nursery ministry. We're still going to be here. Um, it's just God is preparing us for something else, and we don't know what it is. So it's a little intimidating for us, but we want to be obedient to what, to what God says. Um, and just, you know, just for those of you who have recently come here and, you know, you're like, oh, man, they had eight elders, now they got four, and oh, what's going on to this place? I mean, God, it, he's constantly changing us. He's changing our, where we're going. And, and honestly, for me, coming on and serving in that capacity has been one of the greatest pleasures of my life, and I wouldn't ever want to keep that from somebody else. I mean, God is, he's going to bring other people through. Wow. I mean, if, if it was an incredible development for me and it was brought me to know God even more and deeper in my faith than I've ever gone, there are people in this room who God is going to bring through and he's got a call on you. Right. And, and far be it from any of us to stand in the way of what God is doing. Um, and so anyway, uh, like I said, be in prayer for us. We are continuing to be absolutely dedicated to this body. We love you guys. None of that is going to change. Um, and um, we are going to continue to go forward and be obedient to God with whatever he has. So, all right. Well said, buddy. Um, so in the natural, that's a, a bit of a d- difficult thing. These guys are my friends, and uh, they're still going to be my friends. They're still here. Uh, but um, uh, God is up to something. And uh, I, am, I, I have no idea what it is, other than it's good, because God is always good. Uh, but he has your highest in mind. He has this church's health, health in mind. Uh, he has our future in mind. And honestly, uh, I've talked to several of my friends who are on the NCMI team and, and minister around the world, and those that are not on the uh, New Covenant Ministries international team. And they said, we don't actually know of any other church that we have partnership with that is healthy enough to, to do this. To have guys honestly say, hey, my time's up for this season, and I'm going to step aside without having a break in relationship. And so, and they're still here and still part of the body. I think that's phenomenal, and God gets all the glory. So if you want to know more about that, just go to a small group and talk to the leaders and, and make sure you're plugged in, make sure you get close, uh, uh, closer each day as we uh, serve the Lord together in this region. And so, and also be in, pr- in prayer for the leadership, the elders and deacons of the church here. And we might have to create a new category of leader, but um, like elder emeritus or something like that. Uh, but uh, we appreciate what God is doing. I appreciate all of you people who are newer. Uh, some of you are infiltrating uh, this church and you're trying to slide under the radar, but God has his finger on you. And there's some generals, and there's some colonels, and there's some sergeants out there uh, in the kingdom that God's not through with you yet. And I just want to encourage you to have uh, an open heart of, of what God has ahead for you and uh, to be available for his use. Um, because there's no retirement in the kingdom. You might retire from your job, but there's no retirement uh, from the kingdom. And uh, that might be hard for some of you to hear. You've been uh, working for many years. My friend Tom Tapping preached a couple weeks ago at my son's church. Here's what my son did to me. He had Tom Tapping, who many of you know is a good friend of mine. We've been working and serving together for decades. 
And so Tom t- taught two weeks ago at, at One Life Church, and then my son Brian had me preach there last week. And he said, you guys are older, so we're going to do a short series called Old Guys Rule. <laughs> I go, thanks, buddy. Appreciate that. So <laughs> Tom, Tom preached on dying well. <laughs> And then I had to follow up on that. <laughs> but he's, he's preached, I mean, it was a great sermon, but it was, you know, finishing this race well. And like Paul said, I run my race and I did what God called me to do. So I preached last week on, on running the race well so that you can die well. And uh, anyway, what, where was I saying with that? I don't know what I was saying. So uh, I did lose my train of thought and Terry's not here to help me, so... Um, anyway, we love you guys. We love you guys. We appreciate what God is doing in you. And uh, I'm just looking at this room right now, I've seen so many people that God has restored. He's restored. He's, you felt like you were on the shelf. You felt like you were uh, not worth anything and not of, of use to his kingdom. And, and I see young people out here who realize you don't have to wait three decades to serve Jesus. You can start serving Jesus right now and uh, make a difference in your sphere of influence right now. So, getting back to Romans, uh, this is week number 10. Uh, the, the theme that we want to get out of Romans is how to have peace with God, how to be reconciled with God. And actually, that's in chapter 5, those verses, but we're going to get there shortly. I have finished mapping this out. You know when we end is the week before Easter. So we go right up till Easter with the book of Romans, and I'm very excited about that. It even fits in each of the Christmas uh, weeks through December. Um, remember uh, that Romans is about the gospel, and the gospel is about Jesus. That's what this church is about. We are about Jesus. We're about promoting Him. We're about exalting Him, the name that is above every other name. Now, one of my greatest uh, concerns as a pastor... It's not a fear. I would call it a fear, but the Bible says don't fear. Fear not. I would call it being anxious about, but the Bible also says be, don't be anxious about anything. So I can't fear and I can't be anxious, but I can have a great concern, right? And so I have a great concern that people in this church might possibly come week after week after week and think that they're saved, but they're not. They think that because they come to church every week and maybe they put a little bit in the offering and maybe they pray with everybody uh, that they've uh, uh, come from death to life. They've received Jesus as their Lord and their Savior uh, where he said, but as many as received him to them, he gave the right to be called the children of God. And um, Henry, or no, not Henry Ford, uh, C.S. Lewis said, you're no more an automobile by sleeping in your garage then you are a Christian by attending church. It is our heart that Jesus wants. And uh, our heart must be positioned to him. And so today I'm going to actually talk more about sin. Now, this was a tough thing because two weeks ago, Mark preached on sin because that was the passage that we were in Romans. And then last week, Tyler preached on sin because that was the next few verses in Romans. And today I'm preaching on sin. So if you guys don't get this, by the end, we're going to start Romans all over again. And so, but I want you to leave today encouraged uh, because the Word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit always brings strength and encouragement and comfort. So here's what the Bible says. 
starting in verse 9 of chapter 3. And I'm going to comment as we go along. Well then, should we conclude that we Jews are better than others? No, not at all. For we have already shown that all people, whether Jews or Gentiles, are under the power of sin. So as the scriptures say. So Paul is actually speaking ever since chapter 1 verse 18 there's a, an indictment of the entire human race that we're all under sin. And now Paul is speaking to an audience that is Jewish, as a fellow Jew. No one is righteous, not even one. And that's uh, direct quotes out of Psalm 14 and uh, Psalm 53. We're all guilty, we're all condemned. And then he said that, uh, no one is truly wise. No one is truly or really seeking God. All have turned away. All have become useless. No one does good. Not a single one. Their talk is foul. Okay, get ready. He's quoting from the Old Testament. These are various verses from the Old Testament. Like stench from an open grave. <coughs> Their tongues are filled with lies. Snake venom drips from their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. They rush to commit murder. Destruction and misery always follow them. They don't know where to find peace. They have no fear of God at all. Isn't that amazing? That is a pretty harsh commentary there. Obviously, the law applies to those to whom it was given. He's talking to the Jews. For its purpose is to keep people from having excuses and to show that the entire world is guilty before God. For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. So, I just want to pray for us right now. Father, I pray that we would receive this word. On the outside, it seems very harsh to us as human beings, especially when we try to do the right thing. I don't know of anybody who tries to do the wrong thing. Father, be merciful to us. Give us truth and understanding according to your word. Holy Spirit, come in and lead us and guide us into that truth. Father, we thank you that you've given us your word. I pray right now that our eyes would be opened according to what you want to speak to us today. Lord, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first point I have here, and I invented a new word to do this, is everyone, everywhere, every when, outside of Jesus is under the power of sin. If we can have it everywhere, why can't we have it every when? Okay, so of all time, all people are under the power of sin. So he says uh, in, in, in this passage here, everybody is under the power of sin. Now, under means to be subject to the power of or under the authority of. So any person outside of Jesus Christ is under the power of sin, and they're helpless to escape from it. So... He's talking to the Jewish people now in Rome. And he's saying, 
I've talked about the, the immoral people. I've talked about the unregenerate people. And now I'm talking to the religious people or the Jews. And you're under sin as well. <coughs> Scripture has just declared that being religious does not make people acceptable to God. That's what this passage is. So the religious people are shocked. Well, we know that those people out there, the heathen, are, are under the power of sin. And we know that these people who are just trying to be good in their own morality are also under sin. But not us religious people. Not us people who go to church every week. Not us. This couldn't be talking about us. We have the Bible. And, and we put our offerings in. And we pray. And, and uh, don't we understand God's will? And we're not under the power of sin as well. And Paul's uh, answer is a strong exclamation. He says, no, not at all. It doesn't help you by being a Jew. Not in any way are you better than other people. And being said to us is, if you are a religious person, religious means you follow a checklist. I go to church. I put my offering in. I pray three times a day. I do all these things. I don't kick the dog and, you know, all this kind of stuff that somehow I made right with God. Paul says that's not the case. Both Jews and Gentiles, that means people who were Gentiles or people who weren't Jewish, but in our context, there's not very many Jewish people here. We've got a couple of Jewish people by culture and birth in this church, but not very many. And so that applies to us today, the religious people, people that they think by their religion or their, uh, you know, just attending church is going to get them a right standing with God. So this has been the point all along in Romans. Um, God made a case against the ungodly people of all time, and then a case against the moralists, the people who live by moral values, and now he's making a case against the religious. So if people are depending on religion to save them, uh, it's not going to happen. It's like, say you have three swimmers, and they're trying to jump off Fisherman's Wharf in San Francisco and swim out the bay and swim to Hawaii. That's their goal. It's the only way they're going to live. And so you have a swimmer that can't swim very well, and he jumps off the dock, goes 50 feet, and drowns. Then you have a decent swimmer, a good, you know, good experienced swimmer, and they, they're able to swim all the way almost to the Golden Gate Bridge, but the tide shifts and starts coming in instead of going out, and they drown. And then you have a champion swimmer. This person has already swam from Los Angeles to Catalina, or they swam across the English Channel. They're a professional swimmer. That's, their, that's what they do. And they swim out. They make it out past the Golden Gate Bridge. They get past all the great white sharks. They go out there 50 miles out into the ocean. And then they drown. None of us, whether we are not religious at all, or whether we're just moral, or whether we're very religious... None of us will make it to heaven in our own strength. All right? That's what Paul, that's the point that Paul is making here. So the Life Application Bible Commentary has a quote there. Back to the question of whether there was any value of being a Jew, Paul said yes. But to the question as to whether Jews are better than Gentiles, Paul's answer is no. The reason both Jews and Gentiles alike are all under sin. Uh, we all need the grace of God. We need His mercy. We need 
the substitutionary atonement of Jesus uh, sacrificing himself on the cross in our place for us to have right relationship with God. So point number two. Being a little facetious here. Seriously. No one is good. No one is good in and of themselves. It's a big deal. We have to get this. We have to understand this. We all fall short. And so then Paul gives a list of quotes from the Old Testament of how uh, desperately wicked the human heart is without God. And so it's a list of sins, and we actually get offended by it. Some of you may be offended here. I look at that and I go, whoa, that's pretty harsh. And so you go, I've never killed anybody. I've never you know, incited bitterness in, in a church or something. So we find one or two that we're not guilty of, but all of us are guilty of some of it. So as often uh, the Bible requires us to take a second look or a third look or a fourth look until it gets through our thick heads of what is trying to be said here. So Paul actually answers some questions in each of his, uh, his list of indictments against all humanity there, uh, the sinfulness. Yeah, he, he gives us the answers, so let's ask the questions. So we're going to ask a few questions to what Paul's answers were. All right. So let's ask the question, first question is, how well do we understand God? How, how well do we really understand God? How well do we really know him? And Paul's answer is, no one is truly wise and no one is seeking God. No one is really, really seeking God. Now, all of this is talking about in our natural state without Christ. If you've been redeemed, you are a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. You have different desires. It's like when you weren't born again, you had no desire for spiritual things. It's like if you have, take a pregnant woman and you put a big hot fudge sundae in front of her stomach and you say, okay, little kid, does that entice you? No, they're not born yet. I'm not born yet. I don't understand what that is. All right? So people out there are not born again. They don't understand spiritual things. So, okay. How diligently are we seeking God could be the next question. And Paul answers that again in Romans chapter 3, verse 11. The next question is, how much goodness would God find in our daily life? Well, I'm pretty good. And I think that all my good deeds are going to be weighed against my bad deeds. And, you know, on the scales of cosmic justice, I'm going to, you know, probably make it because I've done more good than bad. The Bible says that one sin means we've broken all the law. It's a big indictment. I remember my dad was witnessing to a guy, just telling him about Jesus. And the guy goes, well, I'm not a sinner. He goes, the worst thing I've ever done is go to a baseball game. My dad goes, well, I didn't know going to a baseball game was a sin, but that's not, that's not the point here. It's what's in our heart here. We're conceived in sin and born in sin. Yes, God created man and it was good, but then sin came in and corrupted it. Now sin dwells uh, in every human being. You're not going to be free from that until that, that body that you have and that you live in right now it dies and you're freed from that sin. The next question is how much, uh, in the wake of our, our actions and words, do we leave people helped or hurting? This is a... 
This is a good, honest question to ask. Paul answers it. He says, their talk is foul, like the stench from an open grave. Their tongues are filled with lies. Snake venom drips from their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. They rush to commit murder. Jesus said that if you hate your brother, it's murder. Destruction and misery always follow them. There's this law of of sowing and reaping and, and fruit. By their fruit, you'll know them. So if in the wake behind them is destruction and misery, uh, we are known by our fruits. And when we're in Jesus, then we should have the fruits of the Spirit and the, and the fruit of that. Where's the record of our peacemaking? They don't know where to find peace, Paul says. He answers that question. We, people are looking for peace. And I love in First Thessalonians where it says that uh, when we pray, uh, when we're anxious for nothing... Uh, but in everything by prayer and thanksgiving, let our requests be made known to God. He says, the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your heart, that's your passions, and your mind. That's your logic. So not only uh, the things that we feel, but the things that we think uh, are guarded when we have uh, this peace of God that surpasses all understanding. And you can't have the peace of God in Romans chapter 5, or peace with God, until you have the peace of God in First Thessalonians. When, when God comes, when we trust Him, we have, uh, we have the peace of God. That can't happen uh, uh, until we have peace with God first in Romans 5, and it's because of what Jesus did. And we're going to get to that in a few weeks. We'll mention it uh, today. In what sense do we fear God? This actually sums it all up. People have no fear of God. It's not the fear of God isn't to be afraid of God. It's to have this awe-filled respect. Awesome. The awesomeness of God. And no, no, I'm not going to sin because that breaks his law and I love him and I want to serve him and I want to follow him. I don't want to do that. And so Paul's point here is that an honest look of the facts of sinfulness will inevitably bring us to the conclusion that every human being is under the judgment of Almighty God. All I can say to that is, wow. Wow. Every single human being is under the judgment because God is the perfect judge. He is eternally just. Every human being is under or under the control of sin. And sin rules in you. He said that... uh, to Cain. God said that to Cain, the very first murderer. He said, sin has taken hold in you. It dwells in you. You must not let it rule over you. There's this ongoing struggle that each person has with the sinfulness that we're born into. The good news is that we can be set free from that. In his freedom, I will live. That's what we sang about this morning. So, um, Someone once said this, that hard truth is better than sweet deceit. Hard truth is better than sweet deceit. Now, Paul is giving us some very, very hard truth here. But we have to come to this point where we acknowledge. And and most of us, I would say, have come to that point. At some point, they recognized their sinfulness, cried out to God for mercy because they were unable to save themselves and ask God for uh, his grace for his mercy. So we, we understand that. But
But everyone needs to if they want to have this peace with God. So what good is the law? Paul answers that in Galatians quite a bit, but the law is a very good uh, teacher or a tutor. First, the law shows us where we're going wrong. So because of the law, because we have the law, uh, we know that we are helpless sinners and we need to come to Jesus and ask for his mercy. Uh, for example, if you, had a, if you didn't have any speed limits, you wouldn't be breaking the law by going too fast. But there's a speed limit, all right? So as far as I know, nobody's ever been given an award for driving under the speed limit. We only get a penalty for going over the speed limit, all right? And so that's what the law does. It just shows us where we go wrong. Um, second, the, the morals, the moral code that we see in the law uh, can help guide our actions. We understand that this doesn't save us by doing th- these things, but the law can show us, well, that's right and that's wrong, and we can live by those things, not earning our salvation, but just as a guideline for us to live by. And so, um, when we realize our sinful condition, then we repent. And repentance is is really easy in some ways, in other ways it's very difficult. Because in its natural, its most simple form, repentance means I'm going the other way. I'm doing 180 degrees. So we were going our own way, we repent, and we turn toward God and go His way. Have we arrived? No. Have any of us arrived? Nope. Which way are we headed? Where is our heart turned to and toward? We're headed. That's our working out our salvation with fear and trembling, what Paul talks about. That's our sanctification, our ongoing salvation. We come to Jesus. We ask for forgiveness of sins. He completely declares us righteous and clean. We turn away from our own selfish way. We turn toward him. Now we have this wonderful journey. We already are saved, and now we're being saved. And then someday we will be saved. Christ in you, the hope of glory. That glorification is your future salvation. So we have been saved, we are being saved, and we will be saved. That's a wonderful thing about salvation. It's complete. So um, Paris Reed had said this. He said, no one can repent until they've been convicted. And no one can be convicted until the Holy Spirit does that work within them. The conviction of the Holy Spirit is a real thing where he rolls back the curtains and we see ourselves for who we really are. That's a conviction of the Holy Spirit, not condemnation. Condemnation is what the devil does and that drives you away from God. The conviction of the Holy Spirit is what Almighty God in His infinite love does and that draws you to Him. So the conviction of the Holy Spirit draws you and the condemnation of the enemy drives you away. But when the Holy Spirit convicts you, and you repent, and you, your heart turns. And there's some of you sitting here today who go, I don't know if I've ever really done that. Today, I want to turn my heart toward God. I don't know all the answers, but I want to turn away from my old life, and I want to turn toward God. He's doing that work in you right this moment. That's the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And so the only way God can get glory from a human being is that they truly repent, they give up their life and live for Him and let God fill them with His presence. That's the only way that God will get glory from your life is when you, when you say yes to Him, 
Turn from your own way. Turn toward him. That's how he gets glory. That's what Jesus died for. He, Jesus didn't die for you to have a little happy little life. He didn't die for you to, to uh, get that promotion. He didn't die for you just to get all the things that you want. I want this thing. I want that thing. I'm striving after this. He died so that you would be a sold out, 100% uh, Christ follower. And you've given your life, every bit of your life, everything that you own, all your stuff, all your money, all your time, all your everything, family, everything, He comes first. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He gets glory from a life that's been truly regenerated. That they, where they want to serve him with their last dying breath, every moment, the rest of their life. That's how he gets glory. Now, a lot of those other things happen. The abundant life happens. Joy, inexplic- inexplicable joy happens. Freedom happens. All those things. But the real glory that God gets is that you give your life to him. That's what Jesus died for. I love that. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul says this, For the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. Remember? The sorrow, godly repentance. We realize who we are and where we're headed, and we turn and head toward God. And many of you have done this. Maybe you don't or can't explain it in those words, but that's what you did. But now you have the words, you can share that with your friends at the workplace, in your schools, among your family, when you're sharing Jesus. There is no regret for that kind of sorrow. But worldly sorrow, that's not the kind that leads to life. Worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance, results in spiritual death. The kind of sorrow the world says, oh, I feel so bad for that, but I'm going to continue living my life the way I want. I feel guilty for that. For some reason, I don't really know why. Or I'm sorry I got caught. That kind of sorrow. But godly sorrow leads us to repentance and leads us to victorious life in Him. So, we could all say this. My only reason for being is the glory of God. The reason you're here is to bring glory and honor to God. Is God getting glory out of your life that you're living right now? If you're living for yourself, He's not. If you're living for Him, He gets glory out of that because He's worthy. Here's a good question for us. So now what? What do I do? Well, there's a parable in in quite a few of the Gospels, but in Matthew 13... There's this parable this, uh, of Jesus uh, telling that a sower went to sow and he threw some seed on the road and immediately the birds came and picked up the seed and ate it. And then he threw some seed in rocky soil and, and it immediately sprang up and grew. But since it was so shallow and rocks underneath that when the sun came out, uh, it wilted and died and didn't bear any fruit. And others seed went among the thorns and it grew up. But because the thorns crowded it out, it was unfruitful and other seed fell on good soil and it produced a harvest of 30, 60, or 100-fold. And the disciples asked what this meant. And Jesus said, The seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. 
They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. That's why a lot of new believers fall away soon because they don't get their roots in. How do you get your roots in? By getting plugged into Christian community, by getting into the word of God, by submitting yourself to him daily and following after him and get deep uh, roots. Um, The seed that fell among the thorns represents those who hear God's word, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of this life and the lure of wealth, so no fruit is produced. I believe that's a majority of American believers right there. You're just crowded out. You're saved, you're growing, but there's very little fruit. I'm so thankful that there's fruit here in this body. And if you have to examine your own life before the Lord and say, God, is there fruit in my life? Or am I being just crowded out? I'm so distracted with all the stuff that's going around. And so that's a, that's a good uh, parable here. And then Jesus said, the seed that fell on good soil represents those who, who hear, truly hear and understand God's word, and they produce a great harvest. So today, God's word is going out, and you go, wow, they preached about sin that, two weeks ago, last week, this week. What is this? But my prayer is that the seed will fall on good soil in each one of your hearts today. You'll take it before the Lord and say, uh, one of several things. One of several things. First of all, God, when I said yes to you years ago, I didn't really understand all that was taking place, but thank you, God, for saving me. I am really sorry for my sinful life. Even the sins that I commit, I commit now, I'm, 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 things that don't represent you, I'm so sorry for those. Thank you for forgiving me. And because of that gratitude, I'm going to live for you. And, and other people, um, you might say, you know what, I never really have truly repented. I understand what you're saying, but I need to right now repent. And before Almighty God, have a sense of godly sorrow for my life and ask him to forgive me. And the wonderful miracle is he does. He does. And he sets you free from all that guilt, all that shame. And then others of us who have received Christ by faith, we know we have. Ask him today to sustain you, to keep you in his care to keep you on the right path, to keep you and your heart positioned toward Him, never toward your own self. It's, I think because this is so serious these last few weeks that there requires a response from each one of us before Almighty God. God, thank you. God, please forgive me. God, whatever it is, I want to say yes to Jesus today. Uh, it's a wonderful thing to be able to respond to the Word of God. I pray that the seed that is sown will be in good soil today and produce very, very good fruit. Not condemning, not holier than thou, not pointing a finger, but each one of us individually, just before Almighty God, say, God, where's my life right now? And and I want to live for you from this point on. Um, There's a story told of couple young Moravian missionaries. This was in the late 1700s. The Moravians were a, a Christian denomination in Germany and Europe, and they were famous for starting the modern missions movement, and they sent out missionaries for over 120 years. And uh, two young guys heard that 
there was thousands, tens of thousands of slaves in the West Indies that were working on plantations. And the plantation owner in one particular place said, no missionary will ever come here and, and, and preach anything to these people. So these two young Moravians sold themselves into slavery so that they could go live the rest of their lives as slaves. Just so that there would be some believers in that midst, in the midst of, the, of that slave colony. Isn't that amazing? And their cry as they left the, the harbor was, uh, may the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. That's what they went for, was for his glory. Is our life being lived for his glory? That's the question before us. And if you've never said yes to Jesus, please say yes today. And if, if you don't exactly know what that means, there are going to be people up here in the front after we're done or while we're singing. Just come to the front, hang here, and, and some people would love to be able to answer your questions and tell you how you can come into right relationship with God. Amen? Amen. Amen. We love you guys. Father, thanks for this word. I pray that it would penetrate our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen.